brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the Wheel of Time Spoilers Podcast. Your hosts are Seth Jacobson and Patrick Heiler. Chapter 45, Camelin, and our symbol is the lion. I feel like that's about as appropriate as you can get. <laughs> Matt had vague memories of Camelin, but when he approached it in the early hours after sunrise, it seemed as if he had never been there before. They had not been alone on the road since first light. The other riders surrounded them now, and trains of merchants' wagons and folk afoot, all streaming toward the great city. Built on rising hills, it was surely as large as Tarvalin, and outside the huge walls, a fifty-foot height of pale, grayish stone streaked with white and silver sparkling in the sun, spaced with tall, round towers, with a lion banner of Andor waving atop them, white on red. Outside those walls, it seemed as if another great city had been placed wrapping around the walled city, all red brick and gray stone and white plastered walls. Inns pushed in on houses of three or four stories, so fine they must belong to wealthy merchants. Shops with goods displayed on tables under awnings crowding against wide, windowless warehouses. Open markets, under red and purple roof tiles, lined the road on both sides, men and women already crying their wares, bargaining at the top of their voices, while pen calves and sheep and goats and pigs, caged geese and chickens and ducks, added to the din. He seemed to remember thinking Camelin was too noisy when he was here before. Now it sounded like a heartbeat. Pumping wealth. <laughs> Matt does think about the money a lot. <laughs> Welcome to Camelot. I mean, um, Camelin. Camelin a lot. Camelin a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of Camelin, that's for sure. It's a big place. And there's the old city and the new city. The new city being younger than 2,000 years. The right. old city being the Ogier-built inner city. Yeah, and we see Matt kind of reference that a lot, or his perspective kind of references that a lot, where he says, like, this building looks like it could have been in Tarvalon because it was possibly built by the same people. Sure. 
And and that's the inner city, which has been Ogier built and has yeah. those beautiful white tower esque construction. But then the out the outer building is much I think or the outer city, the new city is much more just human built structures. Right. There's like a, a clear separation between the two. Yeah. And Ogier are people too, by the way. Really more trees. <laughs> a man could earn some gold in this city, Tom. Once he found a game of dice or cards, he was not quite so lucky as cards as at dice, but few except nobles and the wealthy played those games anyway. I thought that was interesting to point out, and something we th- see throughout the series, that cards is not necessarily a game of chance. Well, not it's not as random, because yeah. there's bluffing and there's... Skill, Skill involved. involved. yeah. Whereas throwing dice on the floor is, you just get what you get. There's no way to play a bad hand of dice. No, but you can definitely get lucky at cards when it matters you know if you're yeah if for example if you're playing hold'em you know that that fifth card that flips over can make a big difference and if you have luck that can win you a lot of money sure i do find it funny that he's like hates nobles but that's exactly who he wants to play with because he's thinking i can take money off of them yeah (laughs) tom suggests they go to the queen's blessing which apparently is always where tom goes when he goes to camelin he's good friends with master gill well, they like to play stones together. Yeah. Master Gill loses pretty badly. But Matt says he's not going to go to the inn right away. He wants to head straight to the palace to get rid of that damn letter, which he believes people are trying to assassinate him for, but it's actually just because he's him. Totally. So he's not even going to stop in at the inn. He's just going directly to the palace initially. Yeah. And we see a lot of scenes here of like descriptions of Camelin and the winding roads and the hills and how... All the, ro- all the, I think you said avenues in the inner city point toward... Boulevards. Boulevards, okay. Point toward the palace so he knows how to get there because if you just pick one of those roads and walk down it, you'll eventually get there. And then once you're in the inner city, all the roads spiral inwards towards the palace. Yeah. Um, so it's not that hard. He can't really get lost in Camelin. So finding the palace is easy. Maybe right. leaving it seems to be a little more confusing. <laughs> Well, sure, if you're going anywhere in particular, you've got to go on the right spiral. Yes. And then get to the outer city, and then, yeah, who knows what direction you're going in at that point. Ogier are artists, maybe, not engineers so much. It depends on what the goal is. If the goal is that the palace is the center of the city, I think they did a pretty good job of of directing traffic in and out from there. Oh, yeah, and it's beautiful. I just, from the description, sometimes I question how efficient it is. (laughs) You know, that's what I mean. Not that they can't make a building. But, I, I mean, I get the feeling everyone wants to be in an Ogier-built building. I think they talk about how beautiful they are, but I bet they're functional as well. Sure. Like, I don't think the Ogier would, I think... Not not functional. I just mean maybe they can't build a building like a Shinaran, which is, you know... All square edges cube. and... Yeah, totally, <laughs> yeah. It's not 100% about utility. It's also about the beauty. Yeah. And I, I see where maybe some of the beauty gets in way of the utility, but I, I think they're good enough architects that they're able to incorporate both. And I do appreciate that. I often wonder why we can't have beautiful public buildings like churches. Like, how about a, you know, well, like the New York City Public Library, but that's pretty uncommon, you know? Architects are expensive. Gorgeous shrines to, yeah, that's true. That's why public buildings are usually ugly, because they're cheap. Yeah. A lot of the apartment buildings going up are that way, too, where they're they're built for profit, so they're built as cheaply as possible. Ooh, yeah, there's some ugly modern architecture happening in Portland right now. (laughs) 
Some of it's nice. Some, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm fully on board with infill and trying to increase the amount of housing in the city to prevent the San Francisco, Seattle issues of not having enough housing for everyone and having there are living here is already expensive enough. We don't need to having a housing crisis on top of that. Yeah. We do need more housing. The problem is that it's ugly <laughs> and it's not necessarily adapted to the neighborhood it's in. It's like, yeah. So you'll be passing like lines of these old unique Victorians. And then there's like this weird boxy glass and steel thing in the middle of it. What are you doing there? Taking up every inch of the available space <laughs> on the lot. You know, it's like they figured out what the maximum footprint of those buildings could be and then added an overhang. <laughs> yes, they actually do that. <laughs> Just to add a few more square foot. And I guess what bugs me about those houses is that they're not multifamily house. It's still one family living on that same piece of property. Mm. It's if you're gonna build an apartment building, like those modern houses, oftentimes are no more efficient than just building another Victorian on the same space. If you're just gonna make it a single family home, yeah, sometimes less efficient. Yeah, and plus they don't have a nice covered porch with columns. And I don't understand why everyone doesn't want that. But because people don't sit outside anymore, used to be the only way to get out of the peat was to go sit on your porch. I sit outside all the time. Maybe I'm old fashioned. A little bit. <laughs> nope, I have noticed that none of the other neighbors use the I'm the only person that goes and sits in the courtyard. <laughs> uh, but moving forward. <laughs> so Matt makes it to the palace and heads for the front gates. I thought I would read this scene. Cool. Matt drew rein and put on a smile. Good morning to you, Captain. The officer turned, staring at him through the bars of his face guard with deep, beady eyes, like a pudgy rat in a cage. The man was older than he had expected, surely old enough to have more than one knot of rank, and fat rather than stocky. What do you want, farmer? he demanded roughly. Matt drew a breath. Make it good. Impress this fool so he doesn't keep me waiting all day. I don't want to have to flash the Emerlin's paper around to keep from kicking my heels. I come from Tarvalon, from the White Tower, bearing a letter from you come from Tarvalon, farmer? The fat officer's stomach shook as he laughed, but then his laughter cut off as if severed with a knife, and he glared. We want no letters from Tarvalon, rogue, if you, if you have such a thing. Our good queen, may the light illumine her. Sticking with it. No, I did that totally accidentally. May the light illumine her. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take no word from the White Tower until the daughter heir is returned to her. I never heard of any messenger from the Tower wearing a countryman's coat and breeches. It is plain to me you're up to some trick, perhaps thinking you'll find a few coins if you come claiming to carry letters. But you will be lucky if you don't end in a prison cell. If you do come from Tarvalon, go back and tell the tower to return the daughter heir before we come and take her. If you're a trickster after silver, get out of my sight before I have you beat within an inch of your life. Either way, you half-wit looby, be gone. Matt had been trying to edge a word in from the beginning of the man's speech. He said quickly, The letter is from her, man. It is from... Did I not tell you to be gone, ruffian? The fat man bellowed. His face was growing nearly as red as his coat. Take yourself out of my sight, you gutter scum. If you are not gone by the count of ten, I will arrest you for littering the plaza with your presence. One, two, can you count so high, you fat fool? Matt snapped. I tell you, Elaine sent guards. The officer's face was purple now. Seize this man for a dark friend. Matt hesitated a moment. Sure, no one could take such a charge seriously, but the red-coated guards dashed toward him all dozen men in breastplates and helmets, 
and he wheeled his horse and galloped ahead of them, followed by the fat man's shouts. The gelding was no racer, but it outdistanced men afoot easily enough. People dodged out of his way along the curving streets, shaking fists after him and shouting as many curses as the officer had. All right, so that guy is a dark friend working for Gabriel, and he's doing his best to prevent the message sent by the daughter heir from reaching the queen. I just saw him as a scummy jerk. He is that as well, but I'm pretty sure that his reaction escalates every time he hears Matt mention something about Elaine or Tarbalan. Yeah. He seems to cut him off as soon as he it's it's not just that he's like continuing to talk. It's that he says it's from her, Elaine, and the guy freaks out and calls him a dark friend. So I think that his reaction is on purpose. Is on purpose. More purposeful than It's not just that he's an idiot. He's actually like overplaying his rage in order to prevent this message from getting to the daughter heir. I like that. From the daughter heir to the queen. That makes a lot of sense. He has that one knot of rank, even though he's older. That's because he's like one of the new people that's been introduced to the to the soldiers by Gabriel. Yeah. We see later Master Gill says that he's actually impressed that Gabriel could have <clears throat> could have replaced so many of the guards so quickly. That it was actually like It helps when you have the queen under compulsion. Well, yes. But just the amount of work of firing and rehiring that many people is like, I can't believe he did this so quickly. Oh, I think he had a lot of dark friends ready to go. That's probably right. Older yeah. men. This guy is probably just a, a brawler of some sort. You know, dark friend brawler who got promoted in air quotes. He's <laughs> uh, given an of, official position. Exactly. And probably just told, like, keep out any messengers for the queen. Send them all through me. Yeah. Or just kill them. Yeah, or arrest them for dark. You know, he's thinking, "I'll arrest this guy's dark friend. We'll keep him in the prison. Gabriel can interrogate him, get whatever he wants out of him, and then pass that on to the queen, whether he wants to or not." Yeah, and of course, here Matt's kind of pissed at Elaine for being like, "Why didn't she tell me things had changed in in Andor?" But she has no idea. No. So again, Matt just being like, "I should have asked, but it wouldn't have done him any good to ask." And then, as he's wandering back to the queen's blessing, he has an idea from a story that Rand told him. It's not that hard to get into the palace, right past the guards. There's this one wall. <laughs> it's funny he remembers even that. Yeah. Well, there's there's also a bunch of, kind of a little bit of information in here that I've kind of skipped over, I think. But he thinks about how he'll remember some things, like look up at a signpost and remember seeing it, but not remember what the next block looked like. So it's like little bits and pieces that he is able to remember, but... It's like he's got holes in his memory. Yeah, it's incomplete. He flees and heads back to... Well, it doesn't head back to, but heads to the Queen's Blessing. Mm -hmm. Because why does he actually head back to the Queen's Blessing? Why doesn't he just go right for the wall? Is it because that's where he has to start out from, or...? I'm not sure why he goes back. He smiled and almost turned back. He had suddenly remembered something and had an idea that appealed to him a good deal more than walking through the palace gates... Even if that fat officer had not been watching the gates, he thought he would like it better. But it doesn't say why he decides to continue on. He almost turns back. And I think that when he realizes he's not going to be able to hand the letter personally to the queen during the conversation with Tom and Gil, that's when he gets up and he's like, F it. I'm doing, I'm doing it. Mm, okay. 
And I suspect I don't know that. That's that's a good question, CS Army. I I suspect that it's a blend of both. It's some dark friends that he's promoted to. I should read the question. Why would he use dark friends to put into the Paris palace guards instead of just you know a bunch of idiots? And like I said, I suspect it's both. Yeah, I'm sure he's got some loyal idiots, but these guys, you know, the Forsaken use dark friends. That's what they do. That's how they get loyalty. They have they call up all these dark friends that they've identified and get them to do stuff for them. Yeah, and it helps to have people to you know keep your conspiracy quiet and all that. And you can give them orders like make sure the queen doesn't get any messages from the daughter heir, and they will enforce that. Right, rather than. And we see this later. There's like a smattering of old Queen's guards from before Ravine who are still very loyal. Mostly just Talonbor. Yeah. Young Talonbor. But there's there's a few peppered in there. Totally. He arrives at the Queen's Blessing, and I thought it, it was interesting that he remembered the one of the workers' names, but mm-hmm. not all of them. And he remembers Cook. The whole scene with Raimi, the, when he's like, you remember mm-hmm. me, Raimi, and tosses him silver, and Raimi's like... Uh, yeah, sure do. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, I'm out of here before they don't ask me your name. <laughs> Slipped my mind. I'm not good at people. I'm good at horses. Uh-huh. <laughs> and when Matt walks in, he said, well, Cook, he announced, I am back and not a year since I left. She peered at him a moment, then nodded. I remember you. He began to grin. You were with that young prince, weren't you? And he's like, ugh. <laughs> the one who looked so much like Tigraine. The light illumined her memory. His mother. She's yeah. Again, one of those little dribs and drabs like up until the first th- two books we constantly hear how much Rand looks like an Aiel in this book we hear how much he looks like Tigraine right this is like the second or third reference to that that we've gotten from people <laughs> who have seen him it's interesting I don't know perhaps if Jordan may have altered who was going to be Rand's parents I, I know probably not but it's probably just more relevant now and yeah we're getting to know characters who may have met or been near Tigraine to to actually know that you know but they you know it's not like the cook mentioned it before no, when Rand came through she's like oh that tall handsome man you were here with you're a servant right <laughs> The prince and oh, Matt that loves that. Of course, Matt off, yeah. yeah. Like, no, I'm not. <laughs> she sends him to the library where Tom and Gil are smoking, and Gil's losing a game of stones with the message to get off your lazy butt and clean out the the drains. Right. It's <laughs> like, huh? I must be married. <laughs> <laughs> nope. She just runs us in. I I wonder if that has anything to do with why he ran away with Morgase. He's like, oop, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> you got See this ya. right. <laughs> Have fun running the inn. A pretty ser- serving girl with big eyes giggled and directed him down a hall beside the common room. Big eyes, eh? Yep, just wanted to throw that out there. Pink-faced Basil Gill and Tom Marilyn were seated at one of the tables facing each other across a stone's board, pipes in their teeth trailing thin blue streamers of tabac smoke. A calico cat sat on the table beside a wooden dice cup, her tail curled over her feet, and watching them play. The Gleeman's cloak was nowhere in sight, so Matt supposed he had already gotten a room. You're done sooner than I expected, boy, Tom said around his pipe stream. And after a little conversation and dissembling, they realize that Matt tells them that he was chased off, basically. Sure. Uh, gives us the vital info about the how the Queen's Guard has been changing. I think Lord Gabriel is playing on Morgase's reputation for anger and using that to punish people that are not loyal to him. 
Yeah, I noticed at one point Gil says, Lord Gabriel has kept her from actually sending anyone to the headsman, but I'd not say she would not do it, which is a clever play. Yeah, he pretends to be the good guy while actually compelling her to be the yeah. bad guy. Good cop, bad cop. Totally. And he makes her look bad, and he's the reasonable voice that prevents the worst of the atrocities, and soon he becomes the person that people turn to and the power behind the throne. Yeah. Gabriel. Gabriel. Uh, yeah, just a couple of bits of information about what Morghese has been doing to her people around her. Gareth Brynn did not like him, so Brynn has been retired to his estate to watch his sheep grow wool. It's interesting that Tom knows that already. Oh, he's yeah. He's been in the city for an hour. He knows everything. Well, he's probably been talking to Basil Gill about what's been going on. Yeah. We know that Lord Gabriel has made the relationship with Tarvalin worse while replacing a bunch of the guards of his choosing. He wants to eventually go to war with Tarvalin. Do you think so? I think, yeah, I think that's his goal. Well, or destroy it. But it looks like he's... I think he just wants to destroy the relationship between Morghese and the tower. The tower. Yeah. Well, at the same time, his I think his current goal is to take over Kyrian, using yeah. Morghese's claim to that throne. Which should be fairly easy. It's totally chaotic. And we know eventually Elaine takes it over as well. Yeah. Using that same claim. Next thing I have that's important to outline the plot of this chapter is Gil saying, here, try something different. Wait until the afternoon. The guards will be gone. That's when they switch their shifts. Then walk up and say Elaine. Make that the first thing you say. And Matt's like, "Ah, I'm not going to wait. Yeah. Oh, Gil also says, say the daughter's name right out. And just in case the new fellow is one of Gabriel's men too, duck your head a little, a knuckle to your forehead, and you'll have no trouble. Burn me if I will. I pull wool and scratch gravel for nobody, not to Morghese herself. This time, I'll not go near the guards at all. They stared at him as if he were mad. Because he wants to pull, put that letter right in Morghese's hand. So he's like, I'm just going to skip over Without the guards. I'm not going to... being polite. I like or... to pull wool and scratch gravel. Yeah. Which is like, I guess wool being your hat. So it's like tugging on your hat or something. Yeah. And then pull, scratching gravel is like kneeling. So your hand's in the dirt. That makes sense scrape and bow basically and now that i say that out loud i've never knew what the scraping meant maybe i guess scraping the ground as you bow or grovel it's kind of like kissing the dirt yeah seriously t grain has a couple of votes i i i mean i can't deny it but I just i just um <laughs> i don't think so i think it changes a couple of times in the audiobooks uh, there's a there's a bit of that as well they weren't sure either yeah christina i always said tie grain but it could be t and sometimes Jordan uses a single I as an eh or an e. Ravine, Sidine. How under the light, Gil said, do you mean to enter the royal palace without passing the guards? His eye widened, as if remembering something. Light, you don't mean to... Like remembering the story told by a red-headed farmer who stumbled over a wall and met a princess. And then I just had a longish readout because I kind of like this scene. And that's the end of the chapter. Lad, you'd need the Dark One's own luck to escape with your life. What are you going on about now, Basil? Matt, what fool thing do you intend to try? I am lucky, Master Gill, Matt said. You just have a good meal waiting when I come back. As he stood, he picked up the dice cup and spun the dice out beside the stones board for luck. The calico cat leapt down, hissing at him with her back arched. I wanted that to be significant, but I don't think it is. The five-spotted dice came to rest, each showing a single pip, the dark one's eyes. That's the best toss, or the worst, Gill said. It depends on the game you're playing, lad, doesn't it? Lad, I think you mean to play a dangerous game. 
Why don't you take that cup out into the common room and lose a few coppers? You look to me like a fellow who might like a little gamble. I will see the letter gets to the palace safely. Colleen wants you to clean the drains, Matt told him, and turned to Tom while the innkeeper was still blinking and muttering to himself. It doesn't seem to make any odds whether I get an arrow in me trying to deliver that letter or a knife in my back waiting. It's six up and half a dozen down. Just you have that meal waiting, Tom. He tossed a gold mark on the table in front of Gil. Have my things put in a room, innkeeper. If it takes more coin, you will have it. Be careful of the big roll. It frightens Tom something awful. As he stalked out, he heard Gil say to Tom, I always thought that lad was a rascal. How does he come by gold? I always win. That's how, he thought grimly. I just have to win once more, and I'm done with Elaine, and that's the last of the White Tower for me. Just once more. The only comment I had is he's weighing the odds of getting an arrow in me trying to deliver the letter or a knife in his back waiting, but delivering the letter is not going to prevent the knife in the back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because the knife in the back has nothing to do with the letter. But he's like weighing these two odds being like, well, I might as well risk my life to deliver this thing because I'm risking my life by not delivering it. Right. And then I like when he makes fun of Tom. (laughs) Careful the big roll. It frightens Tom something awful. (laughs) Tom does not like the fireworks. I didn't read it. But when Matt walks into the room, he's like carries he's carrying the huge sling of fireworks and he like throws it down on a table or something. And Tom like pulls his pipe away from it be careful boy you trying to kill us all god damn it this kid i mean to be honest tom probably has the right idea uh yeah i wouldn't be putting any open flame near those i mean especially when I mean, matt just doesn't have the respect for them so no. when he use he almost kills himself using them on the wall he like blows himself over nearly knocking him off like a 20 foot wall which would have killed him on the way down because he just, like, lights... He's, oh, I'll just cut this fuse really short. You know, meanwhile... Ah, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Eludra was like, if you light these, if you light one of these... Run, run away. away. And he's like, oh, I'll light them all together and cut, cut the fuse really short. I'm sure that won't be any problem. <laughs> wow. Sakon just confirmed it is indeed T-Grain. T-Grain. T-Grain? Pronounced T-Grain. I'm still going to say Tigrain. That's, yeah, that just bothers me. I don't know why. <laughs> gotcha. Emphasis on the grain. Tigrain. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Chapter 46. A message out of the shadow. And our symbol is the lion again. Even as he returned to the inner city on foot, Matt was far from certain that what he intended would actually work. It would, if what he had been told was true. But it was the truth of that he was not sure of. He avoided the oval plaza in front of the palace, but wandered around the sides of the huge structure and its grounds, along streets that curved with the contours of the hills. The golden domes of the palace glittered, mockingly out of reach. He had made his way almost all the way around, nearly back to the plaza, when he saw it. A steep slope, thick with low flowers, rising from the street to a white wall of rough stone. Several leafy tree limbs stuck over the top of the wall, and he could see the tops of others beyond, in a garden of the royal palace. A wall made to look like a cliff, he thought, and a garden on the other side. Maybe Rand was telling the truth. A casual look both ways showed him he had the curving street to himself for the moment. He would have to hurry. The curves did not allow him to see very far. Someone could come along any moment. He scrambled up the slope on 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 all fours, careless of how his boots ripped holes in the banks of red and white blossoms. The rough stone of the wall gave plenty of finger holds, and ridges and knobs provided toe holds even for a man in boots. I like how he doesn't believe that Rand actually met the daughter heir, even though he's met her himself and is carrying a message from her. Right. He still doubts the story (laughs) that Rand told of climbing a cliff and falling into the garden and meeting the daughter heir and the queen. Right? Like, why make that up? Yeah. <laughs> but he just never believes him from the beginning, I think, until he actually climbs the cliff himself. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess I guess it did work. And he thinks careless of them to make it so easy, which is true. I did really like in a moment that when he finally meets Talon, Talon Bohr, it's like, how'd you get in here? And he was like, well, I just went over the wall. And he's like, that damn garden wall again. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine no one else has ever found that vulnerability before, that Rand was probably the first one who stumbled on it because of Taverinness. Yeah, and he tells Matt the story, so Matt remembers that there is one way into the palace. Sure. does make me wonder why no one took action to actually either put a guard on it or make it harder to, like, barbed wire at the top or something. Morgay seemed amused when Rand was brought before her. He was also, you know, sort of under Elaine's protection, which is meaningless when she's in a room with Morghese, but still. You can't protect him from the source of your power. Yeah. (laughs) I liked, (laughs) I do do like that about Morghese's personality, where she doesn't seem very ruffled by these things, you know. Even when she runs into Rand, she's like, hmm, clever kid. Yeah. (laughs) I I like the bit of her that actually comes out here even though she's under compulsion. Ooh, I have something to say about that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Good. Some interesting things he found. It's a, a side note, because he's yeah. like climbing up this wall, and he's like, I've done this before. When And he just recalls this fun story where... And I think Rand thought about the same trip when he was climbing, too. Yeah. yeah. And it also foreshadows the climbing of the stone as well. Oh, good point. Him, Rand, and Perrin disappeared into the woods for three days and had a blast and when they came back they everyone hit them i like that uh theory cs army that morgase used to sneak out of the palace that way as a kid and that's why she wants to leave it there Hmm. but matt recalls he brought home three things from the trip Mm -hmm. an odd rock with the skull of a good-sized fish somehow pressed into it so that's just a fossil yeah and that's cool a long white 
tail feather dropped by a snow eagle, which is nice. Yeah. And a piece of white stone as big as as his hand that looked almost as if it had been carved into a man's ear. He thought it looked like an ear, even if Randon Perrin did not. And Tam Althor said it might be. I think it's a old statue of Minethrin. Yeah. I think Robert's definitely dropping us a little crumb. You know? Yeah. Because we've seen... Isn't there where Perrin finds something that kind of looks like the head of a statue and they like camp beneath it? Uh, that might be in the shadow when he goes back to the two rivers later. Um, anyway, that not important. Point is that you know there's we know there's broken statues. We know there's remnants of old Minethrin in the mountains, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming this is just one of those. Yeah, I like to imagine that it's because Minethrin was exploded from the inside, so there are just these pieces of rubble that are at the bottom of the mountains where the capital was. Right, just laying there for thousands of years. That makes a lot of sense. Or maybe another town that was overrun by Trollocs and destroyed, and they smashed the statue to pieces or something. Yeah. Because that whole area was supposedly covered with towns and villages. Sure. Satellites of Minethrin. And in Whitestone, I bet it's marble. Yeah. I think that's what RJ's getting at when he... He'll say Whitestone, or he'll say like a silvery stone streaked with colors and things like that. That looks like marble to me. Yeah. I, I guess when the wheel turns forever, you end up with a lot of broken statues everywhere. Yeah. And... I always come back to this, but Ingtar's dark speech about the slow decline of civilization. Sure. And that's like really real here where... Not to mention an apocalypse every thousand years or so that destroys all the nations. Right. There's this rise and fall that happens consistently. Thanks a lot, Ishmael. I thought it was interesting that he sees a, he sees a giant sunflower and he describes it as as tall as an ogier hmm. in the garden. I walked by the other one. I walked by one the other day in someone's front lawn in Portland, and the the stem of the thing was, like, as thick as my thigh. It was incredible. They get big. Yeah, like 12, 15 feet tall. Because they're... Like a small tree, it looks like. Yeah, but they're grass? Or, like... Because they don't have... Because trees form... There's a, a difference between trees and plants that don't have a hard interior core. Yeah. And I am not a biologist, so I don't know the term for it. But no, I know what you mean. I remember being totally blown away when I found out that palm trees and bamboo are grass. Yep. <laughs> palm trees. It's just a single just blade a... of grass that's really big. <laughs> it's a genetic freak. Yeah. So Matt's kind of sneaking through the Yeah, he's almost playing here. a game here. He and is like, really enjoying it. <laughs> I guess if you're lucky, you know, the guards don't look at you. You stop in just the right spot to overhear just the right conversation. Yeah. You know, his luck is in full force here. He's stalking through, and I just highlighted two more two more pairs of soldiers strode by along the paths, the second close enough for him to have taken two steps and goosed them. As they vanished among the flowers and trees, he plucked a deep red star blaze and stuck the wavy petaled flower in his hair with a grin this was as much fun as stealing apple cakes at sunday and easier women always kept a sharp eye on their baking the fool soldiers never took their eyes off the flagstones <laughs> he enjoys sneaking around and stealing stuff always has always will yeah and as he's i think he's like hiding behind a trellis that is supporting roses or something like that he's underneath a window and he starts overhearing this conversation and to set this up this is this is Ravine talking to Komar about Bilal, for the most part. Yeah, and and Komar, I take it as kind of like one of Ravine's like generals, for lack of a better term. It's it seems that 
is it it's Komar? I, I can't remember exactly or something like that. Komar, um, yes, C O M. Kind of a throwaway character. I think Matt kills him later, but yeah, Matt tracks him down in Tear and kills him like as soon as he gets there. It seems like this man has many men under his command, and he's so he's taking orders right from like the king. I'm air quoting for lack of a better term. The are forsaken, and he's like one of the major. The chosen. Thank you very much, generals. <laughs> Please use the PC term. <laughs> Forsaken is a derogatory term. Chosen is what they choose to call themselves. <laughs> that is true. No, that that's actually a really cool scene where Matt takes down Komar with the dice and then flips him over a table. Komar is like using weighted dice and Matt's luck is so strong he like wrenches something and actually gets the weighted dice to roll him better. So like Komar's Komar's rolling like three sixes and two fives and Matt's luck forces it to be five sixes and Matt wins and Komar's like what the hell and tries to stab him it's a great scene (laughs) I don't remember that but that's funny and dies in a bar fight so I highlighted like all of this conversation but it goes on for two pages here so I, I probably shouldn't read all of it we went over basically what happened but there's some kind of interesting highlights in here uh, the first one I have is where Ravine is talking about Bilal and Komar is saying like the th- three women are on their way to Tyr and Ravine says, let them ruin his plans if they can. And so I think that's saying the the three girls. Yeah. Elaine, Nynaeve, Egwene. Yes. Are on their way. And I think they're being, they're ha- they have been sent by Lanfear to sort of inter- maybe interfere. And I don't know if. Ravine knows that that, or if he's just like, ah, whatever, they can do what they can to mess up his plans. But we have to worry about Rand. He's the one who can destroy us all. Yeah. The boy is what he calls him. And so we do get this insight that Ravine and his generals don't know where Rand is. And they don't know really where the girls are either. They lost them when they got off the ship. Right. And were rescued by the Aiel. Wild card. I think this quote, talking about how he's been impatient since regaining his freedom... He never realized the best plans take time to mature. He wants the world in a day and Kalendor besides. Yeah. That, that's, again, talking about Bilal. Mm-hmm. And so, and he may seize the girl and try and make some use of her. And that might strain my own plans. So he wants Elaine dead so that Bilal can't use her in his schemes. Right. Better dead than a possible wrench in his plans later. Right. Because she would also have a claim on Kyrian. And so right. he wants to control more gays and have her take control of Kyrian so he controls both countries. Whereas Ravine might use Elaine to have, make that claim. And then perhaps again on Andor as well. You know, if more gays died. Right. Elaine could be used by another chosen. To, to take over both countries. Yeah. And take them away from Ravine. So all Matt knows is that someone in the palace wants Elaine dead. And he knows their voices. And yeah. he sees Komar, but he doesn't see Ravine. Right. I'll read this little part. When he had been sneaking about, guardsmen kept popping up like mushrooms after rain. But now he walked almost the length of the garden without seeing even one. He passed several doors. It would not be so good to enter the palace without permission. The guards might do nasty things first and listen after. But he was beginning to think about going through a door when it opened, and a helmetless young officer with one golden knot on his shoulder strode out. I kind of liked that little part a good bit because Matt's passing these doors and he's like, well, 
maybe I should just go in. Like, I can't find anyone to let me in. So he's standing there looking at the door, and it opens. How lucky. Exactly what he needed. <laughs> and exactly the person he needed. Because yes. this is one of the few people who would take him seriously and not probably prevent him from getting to the queen. If Ravine's orders to stop any word from getting to the queen yeah. is, is passed among all of the other soldiers. I would assume so, because of some things that happen in a bit. Sure. We know that Talonvor hates Gabriel. Gabriel. Well, he sees what's happening in the palace, and he sees the caliber of soldier that Gabriel is pulling in, and the way Morghese's behavior is changing. Yeah. The man's hand immediately went to his sword hilt, and he had a foot of steel bared before Mac could push the letter toward him. Elaine, the daughter heir, sends this letter to her mother, Queen Morghese, Captain. He held the letter, so the lily seal was prominent. The officer's dark eyes flickered to either side, as if searching for other people, without really ever leaving Matt. How did you come into this garden? He did not draw his sword further, but he did not sheath it either. Elber is on the main gates. He's a fool, but he would never let anyone wander loose into the palace. A fat man with eyes like a rat? Matt cursed his tongue, but the officer gave a sharp nod. He almost smiled too, but it did not seem to lessen his vigilance or his suspicion. He grew angry when he learned I had come from Tarvalin, but he wouldn't even give me a chance to show the letter or mention the daughter heir's name. He said he would arrest me if I did not go, so I climbed the wall. I promised I would deliver this letter to Queen Morghese herself, you see, Captain. I promised it, and I always keep my promises. You see the seal? That bloody garden wall again, the officer muttered. (laughs) (laughs) It should be built three times so high. He eyed Matt, guardsman lieutenant. Not Captain. I am Guardsman Lieutenant Talonvor. I always think of him as young Talonvor. Yeah. Because that's how Morghese thinks of him. Because <laughs> she's trying to separate herself from him, even though she loves him. Oh, by calling him young? Yeah. That makes sense. I'd like to point out that Matt promised that he would put it in the daughter in, in the queen's hand himself. Mm-hmm. And that's like he's insistent on doing that because he always keeps his promises. He does. And, and that's one of his core attributes he keeps his word he always does if he promises something straight out he does it yeah he's a good man as silly as he is sometimes talonvor says give me the letter and i will take it to the queen after i show you out some would not be so gentle at finding you walking about loose i promised to put it in her hands myself matt said i did promise to the daughter heir matt hardly realized talonvor's hand was moving before the officer's sword was resting against his neck I will take you to the queen, countryman, Talonvor said softly, but know that I can take your head before you blink if you so much as think of harming her. Talonvor is fast, because we know Matt's fast, and Talonvor moved faster than Matt could see. Yeah. Like, Talonvor, he's got some skills with the sword. For sure. And then Matt gives this whole dissembling, lying, ridiculous story. I'm a loyal Andorman, and a faithful subject of the queen, the light illumine her. Why? If I had been here during the... Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, and... But I like how wrong he gets the, like, if I'm loyal to the queen. I'm sure I'd follow Lord Gabriel. Yeah. He says, I'd have followed Lord Gabriel for sure. And um, Talonvor just looks at him and just, like, he doesn't know what's going on. Or he's an idiot. <laughs> yes. Either one. Yeah. Take the flower out of your hair, Talonvor said as he sheathed his blade. Do you think you came here courting? <laughs> yeah. Matt's being a little silly. <laughs> I really liked that he did that. I do. It's, it's, it's just a lot. It's nice to get the sort of lighter air after like the brooding parent and the 
like insane rand insane rand yeah just just he's going through life and enjoying himself a little bit more than anybody else yeah that's and, why i think of him as like almost a comic relief character sometimes totally well he depends on his luck and that lets him get away with certain things it lets him escape consequences yes he doesn't ever really have to take anything too seriously right <laughs> talonvor leads him down halls and through gar- more gardens and Matt's confused about where he is by the time they actually reach where Morgais is sitting and holding court. I like his little fancy about being made a lord. Yeah. <laughs> as much as he complains about hating lords and as much as he does eventually become an emperor, he still fancies it. Still has that like childhood dream of being brought before the queen and Yeah, sure. Being told accolades and rewarded and We all do that a little bit, I think. I think so. But it is a bit of a childhood fantasy. And then he sees a woman with red gold hair who sat on the raised rim of the pond, trailing her fingers on the water and staring sadly at the fish that rose to her fingertips in hopes of food. A great serpent ring encircled the third finger of her left hand. A tall, dark man stood at her shoulder, the red silk of his coat almost hidden by the gold leaves and scrolls worked on it. But it was the woman who held Matt's eye. He did not need the wreath of finely made golden roses in her hair or the stole hanging over her dress of white slashed with red, the length of the stole embroidered with the lions of Andor, to know he was looking at Morghese. Talonbor introduces Matt. I bring a messenger who bears a letter from the Lady Elaine. Matt's awkward. (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to point out that part of the reason Morghese looks so gorgeous and young is that she's slowed. Yeah, I think we've talked about that on the podcast before. And I don't think she took the three oaths. She's not a full Aes Sedai. No, she's not powerful enough. So she's not bound by the three oaths, but she does slow a little bit from the power. So she looks like what a channeler would look like. And she's a very weak channeler, so it's probably not much of a slowing. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I'm pretty sure Morghese was raised to accepted as like a... Definitely a courtesy. Yeah. She was, like, given the ring. She's going to be a queen, so you can be accepted. But typically, a young woman who is as powerful as Morghese would never be raised to accepted. You have to actually be able to channel, and Morghese barely can. Yeah, the only time we actually see her channeling is when Fael and yeah. is trapped in the rubble by one of the Red Black sisters. And there's this red flag, and she, like... Fael encourages her to like channel and like wave the red flag. Yeah. And that's like all she can do is occasionally like twitch a flag. A little gust of wind. Every once in a while. You bring a letter for my scapegrace child? Her voice was cold, but with an edge that spoke of heat ready to rise. That must mean she's alive at least. Where is she? And Tarvalin, my queen, he managed to get out. At least she was when I left. Morghese waved a hand impatiently, and Talonvor rose to take the letter from Matt and hand it to her. For a moment, she frowned at the lily seal, then broke it with a sharp twist of her wrists. It's interesting that Matt had overheard that they were headed to Tyr, but he says, oh, they're in Tarvalin, or at least they were when I left. Oh, I didn't even catch that. he knows that they've moved on. That's all he is supposed to know. Exactly. In this story that he's making up. (laughs) And he's looking for an opportunity to say that he overheard someone trying to kill Elaine. But nobody will listen to him. Yeah, well... He's just waiting for the right moment because he doesn't realize that Ravine, the guy who ordered it, is standing right there because he didn't see him. 
he just heard his voice. Yeah. So until Ravine speaks, he doesn't realize that this dude right there. And Morghese is clever, but I notice that she looks at the letter and says, she can say no more, can she? She muttered. We shall see whether she holds to that. And so I, that makes me suspect that there really isn't any hidden message in the letter whatsoever. It really is what it is face value which is not much she's proud that her daughter was raised to accept it so quickly yeah because we've read this letter and it's there's nothing to it it's just like i got raised to accept it and i'm off on another task and they try to question him some more ravine and morghese but matt says he doesn't know anything else he doesn't even really know elaine he makes up a fake name and tells them that he's yeah he uses else as a cover Right. Which Landfear, everyone's favorite <laughs> nobody is Els Grinwall. <laughs> and I also noticed he uses Tom's name, which I was like, that might not be the smartest name to use in front of the queen. Yeah. She may associate that with another Tom that she knows. And he says that he's from a village called Comfrey, which is north of Berlon. So effectively inside of Andor's borders, but like at the edge of it. Sure. Not the two rivers. Probably a little closer than the two rivers because Berlon is more it's actually uh, I feel like eastward that, a bit yeah the edge of where Andor goes yeah I think if you're from Berlon you consider yourself from Andor tell me Tom Grinwell did my daughter look well when you saw her yes my queen she smiled and laughed and showed a saucy tongue I mean Morghais laughed softly at the look on his face do not be afraid young man Elaine does have a saucy tongue far too often for her own good I'm happy she is well. And, oh, here's what I wanted to talk about. Those blue eyes studied him deeply. A young man who has left his small village often finds it difficult to return to it. I think you will travel far before you see Comfrey again. Perhaps you will return to Tarvalin. If you do, and if you see my daughter, tell her that what is said in anger is often repented. I will not remove her from the White Tower before time. Tell her I often think of my own time there, and I miss the quiet talks with Shiriam in her study. Tell her that I said that, Tom Grinwell. And I think that is a cipher, or of some kind. She does not miss the quiet talks with Shiriam in her study. Nobody misses the talks with Shiriam in her study. No, because those aren't quiet talks. Those are beatings. But it's, right, it's something that people who are unfamiliar with the Tower and its politics and how it works wouldn't know. It sounds like a likely thing to say. I miss that kind woman. Do you think it's a call for help? Mm-hmm. Because if Matt ret- does return and he sees Elaine and he says that to her, the first thing she's going to say is, well, that makes no sense. Right. Why is my mother sending me messages that don't mean anything or are nonsense? So you think it's the queen's subconscious mind trying to fight the compulsion and get a message out that she needs help? Yeah. I think she's saying that something's wrong. That's cool. I like that. What, does anyone want to weigh in on that? But as soon as I saw that, I was like, she's flying a flag subtly. And, you know, that's one of those things that there's no way to confirm or deny. But And I wanted to just jump back for a second. When Matt is talking, he says, Light, will nothing put her in a good mood? He decided he was just going to have to say it out, but he wished she did not look as if she meant to cut someone's head off. My queen, by chance I overheard, and that's where he's, try- he's about to say, someone threatening to kill your daughter. Yeah. And that's the first time that Ravine speaks. He says, be silent, boy. And right then, Matt's like, oh, 
this is the guy that was <laughs> this is the guy that was going to kill her. Oh right, that didn't even hit me, but he knows the voice. He knows the voice. So it's but that was the first thing that Ravine had said, and it was just luck that Ravine cut him off at the perfect time to prevent him from blurting it out in front of Ravine. Yeah. So again, Matt got lucky there. You know, also in this paragraph, as I was reading it, kind of confirmed my suspicion about what Marges says. Well, a little. When he reached over Marges' shoulder and plucked the letter out of her hand, her glare turned on him. Matt could see her temper heating. So I don't think he has, like, 100% control over Marges. He has to keep pushing on her to keep her where he wants her to be. He doesn't have her, like, mind warped totally he does it's not rendall level of compulsion so he's still probably keeping it pretty light so people don't get suspicious right but he's you know controlling her behavior and then her temper flares because he like snatches this letter out of her hand and that's rude Mm -hmm. and uh, but then he like puts a hand on her shoulder and she seems to calm down and in a moment she's the phrase is something like looking at her like looking at him like a obedient puppy or something like that um, yeah, and I assume that's a little he, – he gives her a little dose of the compulsion right there. Yeah. So I think Morghese is, like, coming out, and we all know she has a very strong personality, and that those people can be harder to compel. Absolutely. She is also a channeler, which might help, or has the ability. E- even the light channeling, even the light connection to the one power may help her resist the compulsion. Yeah. So that just made me think, like, maybe some part of her deep down is, like, something's wrong, and I need to send a message, which is why she – you know, told Matt to say something that can't mm-hmm. be true. It makes me think of Firefly when the doctor is saying, I knew something was wrong when my sister sent me letters that had a spelling error in them. Right, right. No, it's it's just code. Yeah. Tom would have spotted it in a second. No, I, I, that's my favorite explanation. I like that a lot. Because I, I didn't, it doesn't really make sense as like a, a threat saying, oh, I'm still angry. I'm going to send you to Shirium. Then she would just say, you know, tell her she should spell spend some time in Shirium study. Yeah. <laughs> or tell her I'll be sure she will or something Yeah, like something that. like yeah. that. Yeah. So... And that would actually make sense. <laughs> right, right. But this just doesn't make any sense. And as a coded message, that makes more sense than anything else to me. Yeah. Especially the way she repeats, tell her that I said that. Ta-. Like, tell her I said that specifically. Yeah. She's really driving it in. She says mm-hmm. his name two or three times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I said, it's also a thing that she can say in, se- in front of Ravine. Exactly. And he won't know what she's talking about. Exactly. Yeah, this is where the the gold comes from. Matt says he has a bet with Ravine for Oh. <laughs> Elaine's life, and it's the ten gold pieces that he gets here. Gabriel laughed, a deep rumble of amusement. Are you anxious then to milk cows, boy? Perhaps you should see something of the world before it changes. Hint drop. <laughs> Perhaps you should see something of the world before I destroy it. Here, he produced a purse and tossed it. Matt felt coins through the wash leather when he caught it. If Elaine can give you a gold mark for carrying her letter, I will give you ten for bringing it safely. See the world before you go back to your cows. Yes, my lord. Matt lifted the purse and managed a weak grin. Thank you, my lord. But then, the dark man had already waved him away and turned to Morghese with his fists on his hips. I think the time has come, Morghese, to lance that festering sore on the border of Andor. By your marriage to Tarangale de Madrid, you have a claim to the Sun Throne. The Queen's guards can make that claim as strong as any. Perhaps I can even aid them, in some small way. Hear me. Talonvor touched Matt on the arm, and they backed away, bowing. Matt did not think anyone noticed. Gabriel was still speaking, and every lord and lady seemed to hang on his words. 
Merguez was frowning as she listened, yet she nodded as much as any other. She is frowning because she does not like the idea of invading Kyrian, but she's nodding because she's under compulsion to agree with him. Yeah, and I think we see a little bit of this, or a little hint into what might be going on in her mind here later, when because she's has trained Elaine to eventually ascend to the throne. So when Elaine has to go through the uh, secession contest, or whatever, for lack of a better term, which eventually breaks out into a war, Elaine is very the process you have to be picked as the as the monarch before you can hold the throne you don't take it by force there's right. a whole process that you go through and i believe that Morghese is probably that's what's in her mind it's like that's not the way to do it like if i wanted that throne as well i would have to go there and you go through the process uh, i just want to read a little bit from the next chapter oh, sure. about the, uh, the wager yeah 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 Hold this for me, Master Gil, Matt said, and tossed him the wash leather purse. What's this, lad? Coin? Stakes. Gabriel doesn't know it, but he and I have a wager. The cat jumped down as Matt picked up the wooden dice cup and spun out the dice on the table. Five sixes. And I always win. So that's that <laughs> that uh, bag of gold. He turns it into his wager with Gabriel that he's going to save the girl's life. see a good friend's thesis presentation on international politics and god i got there a little early and boy do i regret that some really dry presentations on a couple of different topics (laughs) (laughs) you know presented by like nervous college kids so that like makes it so much less tolerable and of course as soon as i i got in and i like ducked in and sat right down to like stay out of the way and i shut my phone off because I was just worried that it would make noise. And so then I didn't even have a phone to entertain me because I was t- it, it'll make a sound if you don't silence it when you turn it on. Shit. <laughs> Trapped for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you bring a book with you. <laughs> and then I went out to lunch with her and a bunch of her friends, and I got an interesting lecture from a server on different types of rosé. You're trying to work on your wine knowledge lately, aren't you? Yeah, because I feel like I'm pretty well equipped to talk about beer. Ironically, not as well equipped as Seth, who's not a bartender. And whiskey and liquor, I kind of, well, your common types of liquor I know well enough that I can drink a little and talk about it for a while. But wine, there's like an entirely different language and culture around it than beer, and I really don't know anything. And there's some really interesting stuff out there. So there's a wine bar actually in the same building as my bar, which is a beer bar. And I've been stopping there every Saturday and Sunday shift because I I work a day like brunch shift on Saturday and Sunday. I stop there and drink a couple glasses of wine and make them tell me about it. (laughs) 
they're getting used to me now. I just walk in and I'll be like, white, go. <laughs> and they just <laughs> pour me a bunch. <laughs> it's good. It's good that you can get that kind of knowledge. Yeah, well, I figure if I just keep doing that, it'll it'll stick to me eventually. Totally. I I think that's the best way to learn is by sampling and listening to somebody else talk about it. They actually have a club that I'm considering joining. We commit to buying three or six bottles a month, and you go and do a tasting and hang out, and then you go home with your bottles. And, I mean, a wine and beer knowledge is only a small part of bartending. Oh, yeah, sure. A significant one, but definitely, like... Most of the time, people are just going to order a beer. Yeah. A lot of service is about bullshitting. Bullshitting your way through and talking about sure. things that you don't actually know what you're talking about and um, <laughs> and r- other kinds of bullshitting, just talking to people. And I guess bullshitting about alcohol is always a useful one if you're a bartender. Right. Yeah. And you get people, especially in Green and Gristle, that come in and they're like, actually want to talk about the beer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Upright's got the beers on some good beers. Yeah. They do interesting things that aren't standard, so it's it, it's helpful to be able to talk about it so people have some idea of what they're getting. Right. If they don't necessarily understand that an 8.6 apricot saison might be a little bit different than your typical light beer. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy different. I have a go-to, go-to that's vaguely illegal. It's definitely in a gray area, but I'll pour samples for customers, and I pour myself a sample and drink it with them and talk to them about it. People love that shit. And I like it, too. Yeah, just drink at the side of a table while we talk about beer. <laughs> it's, wrong with that. it's definitely a gray area. You are allowed to sample, but walking around the restaurant drinking is a little... <laughs> you know, it's only like a half an ounce of beer. Sure, but when you do it six, seven times in an hour, it becomes... <laughs> <laughs> that is, you just had a drink, my friend. Uh, yes, you did. <laughs> And also, I've seen the way you fill those sample glasses. That's not half an ounce. <laughs> they hold up to four. If I'm being generous, I'll give someone two if they want. You can also get a flight. Then you get all four ounces. Thank you for listening to the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast. Rate us in the Apple Podcast app or support us on Patreon. Is that good enough? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.